Welcome to Know Your Risk Radio on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. Know Your Risk Radio is hosted by Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Know Your Risk Radio is brought to you by Bulwark Capital, helping families navigate the ever-changing and often volatile markets. Know Your Risk Radio starts now. Here's your host, Zach Abraham. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for another of the most scintillating hours in finance radio. And folks, we're loaded for bear. We're coming at you with both barrels blazing today. We've got a uh, interview with our favorite macro guy, our macro analyst, Chase Taylor. Um, Obviously, you guys know we've been excited about energy in every capacity, uranium, natural gas, oil, and they have been taken to the woodshed in the last two weeks. But um, I also hope you remember me telling you that that's the way these things work, that I suspected that this would be a really bumpy ride. Why did I say that? Because it's a commodity and that's the way it always is. And that that's why you have to steal yourself in these things if you... You know, and that goes for value investing in general, guys. I I think one of the things that people forget about is that when you're truly buying value, when you're truly buying something at a depreciated price, it should be a little scary. It should be a little scary because buying something that has done really well is easy. You know, look at all the retail YOLO traders out there. They're all loading up on Tesla and Amazon, right? That's all the stuff. Why? Well, because they've got very recent examples of it working. Those people aren't buying the energy plays and uranium stocks like we are. And, and, and that's also why we were pointing to that 99, 98 level, um, on, uh, on XOP, which is a, a big ETF of a lot of those energy producers. Okay. He goes, Zach, what do you mean? You're a value guy. You're supposed to buy and hold forever, blah, blah, blah. No, no, I, I firmly disagree with that. And that's why we do active management. And the reason I disagree with that, I'll let you know. Okay, nearly 26%, I want to say we had about 25% of the value portfolio was exposed to energy, nat gas, oil, things like that. We've had a great run on it. It's one of the reasons we were up 40% just a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, on the year in the value portfolio. Um, that's a big position, right? That's a really big position. Why did we go that big? Well, first of all, our clients' portfolios are split 50-50 between the value portfolio and the algorithm, right? So if I've got a 25% stake in something on the value side, it's a 12 per, 12.5% stake on the entire portfolio. That's right around the long-term average of energy's exposure in the S&P, okay? So that's one of the reasons. The other reason is that um, I just hadn't seen so many compelling values, Having said that, this is why I was talking to you guys about XOP. And I think it's a great example of what we're constantly referring to as risk management. Okay. One of the reasons is to lower the volatility of the portfolio, which makes for more stable distributions over time. One of, we've talked about this on the show a lot, but one of the things that most investors don't realize is that it's not just once you retire and you start living on your assets, the end result of the investment is not the only thing you have to consider. The path in how you get there can greatly impact your results. For instance, if you have a portfolio that was down 10%, when the market was down 40, similar to us in the market last year in March, when you're retired, you have to keep taking income out of that portfolio. So if you're down 40%, you're not, you still have to pay your bills. So you're probably going to pull out the exact same amount of money every month, but you're pulling it out of a pot of money that is just shrunk by 40%. That means when the market bounces back, you won't have as much stock. And that's the thing that this is one of the chief reasons why we execute, why we have a risk management process. And it's also one of the exact reasons why we we approach it this way is because we manage retirement money. Okay. And so we can be aggressively long energy. We can get aggressive about the opportunities that we think are really good, but what do we have to do always We've got to manage that risk. So we were up 40% just two weeks ago in the value portfolio, have gotten slapped around. There's, there's, there's no way of putting it in the last two weeks. 
I've always told you guys, I'm going to be tell you about the winners, tell you about the losers, right? We're up 25, 20, no, 27, 28% on the year now. We took like a 12% hit from the highs. So what did we do on Tuesday? We hedged the energy exposure. Okay, we, we, put, we put, put things in there that go up when energy type stocks go down. And we hedged out about 90% of the exposure. So energy, even though it's gotten pounded the last two days, it hasn't hurt us. And we stop the bleeding. Now, that does two things. A, it smooths out the ride, also takes off the table a risk of a catastrophic loss. But here's the other thing it does. Remember, I'm always telling you, risk management will, over the long run, if done correctly, will improve your returns and won't hurt them. Now, remember that position I told you we're using as a hedge that goes up when energy markets go down? Okay, well, when that thing goes up, we will take the profits of it and use it to buy more of the energy stocks we love. And if those things keep going down, then that short position keeps going up and it holds relatively stable, but it's providing me more ammo to buy the things that I really like. And it's allowing me more ammo to buy them when they're cheap, right? This is a classic example of what we're talking about. When we talk about risk management, helping your overall returns, we have a day like today, the value portfolio is right around flat on the day algorithmic portfolio got defensive too over the last week it went to shoot what is it sitting in 55 percent cash that was earlier this week so it's missed a lot of this this tumult as well it's gotten hit too um but my point is when you do stuff like this the risk management parts of the portfolio kicked in we had these levels now you got a day like today where the Dow's down 130 points, was just down 300 a little bit ago, so we'll have to see where it goes. NASDAQ's down 357, 2.4%. S&P's down 1.2%. They're getting hammered pretty good. We're holding basically flat on the day. Now, that's not every day, but this is a perfect example, right? Remember how we told you, we also, I got to, people are like, well, you lost 12% in the last two, well, you... Again, that's a little bit misleading. One of the reasons we lost about the same as the market. One of the reasons it sounds more, because I think the market's down like six or seven, something like that, uh, or seven or eight now after today. But the reason we lost more as a percentage is because we were up more. Basically, we've lost as much as the market up until yesterday because we hedged the portfolios on Wednesday. But um, wouldn't you like to know that as a client? Wouldn't you like to know that, hey, we can get hit a little bit, but we know if it starts getting saucy, the guy that's managing my money is going to put some brakes on it, right? To make sure I'm not wait that, that, that if this is the beginning, which I don't think it is, and I'm not saying it is, but if this was the beginning of some big sell-off, right? There's some, there's some protection there. And my whole point, I've always come from it from this angle, which is if your guy isn't doing that for you, what are you paying them for? I just, I don't really understand it because if that's the way you, if you want to just ride markets up and down, just go slap your money into Vanguard and don't pay anything. Right. So, and we're going to talk about that more in the next segment here. We got to take a quick break. We're up against time. Anyway, if you don't have a risk management strategy, give us a call 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, bulwarkcapitalmanagement.com. If you don't want to call us, you can always email in. We can do email correspondence, but there's a better way, guys. Take the the three minutes it takes to call us and educate yourselves. Educate yourselves on how we're lowering fees, improving performance, improving upside, and drastically lowering risk. It's going to be worth your time. Anyway, we'll be right back. Stick with us through the break. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach uncover the truth about the financial markets with simple and honest advice to help you plan for retirement. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. And Zach, I know you and Bulwark are laser-focused on risk management. What is the biggest risk right now? Ironically, bonds. Really? Why? Because of all this money printing and the fact that we're still at zero interest rates, it's likely to create some serious inflation. And inflation crushes bonds. If your portfolio has a significant portion in bonds, you may need a bond replacement strategy now. Get our free booklet, Common Sense Investing, to learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy that shows you how to protect your retirement against loss, but still seek market gains. Our goal is the highest returns with the least amount of risk and cost. Call now for your free 
free copy of Zach's new version of Common Sense Investing. Learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement where the firm's license conduct business. Bulwark Capital's DBA of Clerk Creek Financial Management, registered investment advisor. What does outside-the-box investing really look like? Schedule your free risk review with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management, and see a side-by-side comparison of your current portfolio versus one Zach would recommend. Schedule your free risk review at knowyourriskradio.com. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. Zach, what's the number one concern with people's investments right now? Without a doubt, Dory, it's inflation, and it's here. With all this money printing and with still 0% interest rates, inflation will very likely rise, and when inflation rises, bonds get smoked. We've been telling people for six years, if you're using bonds in the old-school 60-40 mix as the safe portion of your portfolio, you're taking a serious gamble with your retirement. Well, what should our listeners do? If you're worried about inflation, we believe that you should consider getting out of bonds and get educated with Bulwark's bond replacement strategy. We teach you exactly how to do it in our free booklet, Common Sense Investing. Learn how to protect your portfolio against loss, but still seek to grow your assets. Call Zach now for your free copy of Common Sense Investing, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement with the firm's license to conduct business. Bulwark Capital is a DBA of Clerk Creek Financial Management, registered investment advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you so much for being with us and sticking with us. The rest of it on the market update, obviously we see what's going on here. The interesting thing to me, guys, is I'm looking at, you guys have heard me talk about Zig a lot. Um, Zig has had a good week. It's up on the week. Um, Obviously, our shorts are doing well. We have several value positions that are doing really well camping world took it on the chin yesterday but today in a tape that is really red with a lot of things down big uh camping world is up uh over one percent that's odd um you know another one energy's getting hit again today but it's still really holding tight to that 95 level remember i said 98 to 100 those levels aren't perfect Okay, that's just my level that I picked as a matter of discipline, as a trading discipline. That Those were the levels that we keyed on. But really, if you look at XOP, I wouldn't be really concerned about the run in energy being over, looking at the chart, until XOP fell below 88. I just remember we were up a lot this year. One of the reasons I'd move my hedge higher is I didn't want to give a lot of that back. So, um, so right now, and that's the other thing I love about risk management, guys, as a manager – is I'm not freaked out about oil. My exposure is basically neutralized. I'm sitting there on a day like today and we're even, right? So it allows me to think more rationally. I'm not sweating the accounts going down. It allows me to look for buying opportunities. Uh, the other interesting thing, we, um, I am not recommending this, okay? It's down a lot. Don't go out and buy this. Don't say I recommend it. Nothing. You guys know my deal. I'm not recommending anything. But we are seeing some weakness in tech. More importantly, we are seeing some weakness in the ARC stuff. So one of the other things we did to hedge the portfolio is we put about 10% of the value portfolio in, um, uh, in something that shorts that goes against the ARK portfolios, uh, ARKK. And um, the reason I did that is not because I have anything against them. I really don't. I think Kathy Wood's a nice person. Other people think she's a fraud. I don't. I think she's a true believer. I could be wrong. But again, it's not a personal thing. It's just that their fund (laughs) is just the perfect basket of stocks that are completely bloated and ridiculously priced. And so if those things are going to get hit, it's just kind of a great thing to do. Um, That position's up about 10% for us in the last couple days. We're up about 6% on it today. Um, and that's also interesting because arc broke that hundred level, that hundred level had been really a line in the sand. That chart on that thing looks nasty. If you own it and you've made a ton of money, I'm not telling you to fire sale it, but if you do own it, if you're in a lot of these high price tech companies, you know, the Tesla's DocuSign, another one, good company, got a client that I love. One of my favorite clients works there. Um, and great company, love the company. But these are the things, it's down 42% today. Today. Guys, these are the things that happens when you own really overvalued stocks. That all of a sudden, for no reason, even though they didn't, they didn't announce bad earnings, 
They pulled back on their forward estimates a little bit. Stock drops 42%. Now, maybe it bounces back. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying you're starting to see pain in a lot of these crazy price names that we haven't seen pain in in a long time. And that should be a reminder to you that things don't just go straight up. Right? No matter how good the markets are, no matter how good they've been recently, right? Risk management exists for a reason. It's not old because it's good. Or excuse me, like my college football coach used to say, it's not good because it's old. It's old because it's good, right? It stood the test of time. The other thing, like I said, guys, the other part of risk management that I don't think really gets paid attention to, there's part of it that's greedy, Right. There's part of it that's saying, hey, if this thing gets hammered, if the markets get hammered, I want something that's making me money on the other side so I can buy things that are cheap. Now, I wouldn't recommend you all try to do this on your own because it takes a lot of expertise and time and things like that. And even then you get it wrong. Right. But the reason that we do it is because we manage retirement money. What's the one thing we can't afford? Our clients can't take a catastrophic loss. So when we get close to breaking points, we put some insurance in there. I, just, I, I still don't I don't understand. I, I, I just think it's crazy that people will go out there and pay these guys. We just saw a guy today. A client came into us. He had really expensive mutual funds. Okay. That were sold to him because they were a bunch of different mutual fund companies. And this company was good for this. And this company was good for that. When we looked under the hood of all these mutual funds, basically you own the same mutual fund in 15 different ways. The reason they do that is because they charge you more commissions or they charge you higher fees. The less amount you have in each mutual fund company, right? So the lesser, so they'll split you up into these different mutual fund families because they can charge you more. So this guy had mutual funds that were very benign. And when we broke it apart for him, he was paying 2.8% a year. Just regular mutual funds. Okay, guys, that's insane. And you're like, I'm only paying 1%. If you own mutual funds, do you know what the charge inside of those mutual funds are? Like we have people all the time. You know, our average client's paying something on our managed portfolios. So the, the stock portfolios, average client on their entire portfolio with us is paying between, you know, 0.8, well, 0.75 to like 1.1. But on the stock portion, average client's paying somewhere between one and one and a half, depending on portfolio size. Um, and people are like, well, that's my guys only charging me 0.9 or my guys charge me 1%. And I go, but you have a portfolio full of mutual funds that have 1% internal fees. So you're actually paying 60% more than, we're char- than we would charge you, right? Because ours are actively managed. So anyway, I don't want to get it too far off the beaten path. This is the market update. Other one that's taken a header, you're going to hear me and Chase talk about this in the interview, uranium. Um, uranium to me is the one out of this whole thing that I am looking. I mean, don't get me wrong. We own some, not a lot. I'd pulled back our positions uh, probably about a week and a half ago, just trimmed them. We'd had a lot of profit and, and it wasn't. I wish I could tell you because I knew they were going to take a swan die. I didn't know. It was just You got stuff sporting that kind of profit. Um, you know, I think it's best to take some gains. But I will tell you where I'm at on uranium. I'm sitting here watching these stocks, almost kind of hoping they go lower, honestly, just because I think it's such a good long-term value story. It just, it just fits so many areas. Um, uh, other ones, I'm trying to think of other big DLC. Yeah, DocuSign, crazy volatility on individual names. Um, really interesting stat today. Um, tell you kind of how wild this market is. If you look at the indexes, it doesn't look too bad. Okay. So I think, I think, I think the S and P is 8% off its high, something like that. And guys don't freak out about that. If you go back a hundred years in the average year, the market pulls back at least once on average, about 12 to 12 and a half percent off its high. Okay. So th- these are just normal pullbacks at this point. That's why I tell people that we're really not trying to mute out the 10 to 12% pullbacks. Just because if you do that, you're trying to be too perfect and you're just going to cost yourself money, right? 10 to 12% pullbacks are the price we pay. It's a price we pay to play the game. So, um, but, but the uranium, the uranium stuff to me, like I was saying is a little bit different. This just seems really irrational that that stuff's getting thrown overboard, Um, and again, Chase and I'll go into that a little bit more in the, um, uh, in the interview, 
and explore that a little bit. But, but these are the times where I think you should be looking for things to buy if you are managing your own money. Um, and especially if you're hedged, you know, that's uh, the other beautiful thing about, about risk management. Like I said, you're not sitting there getting hammered and you've got positions that are going up and what they're doing is they're building you dry powder as markets fall that you can deploy to buy stuff you like. So there's several things we're looking at right now, just kind of watching, seeing if they get to our price points, seeing if they get the, you know, do this, do that. Um, Boeing has has had an entry. Boeing broke below 200 again, though. That's kind of been a line in the sand for them. We'll have to see where they finish. They're still at 197. Again, I keep hearing people trot out Boeing. If you want to be a really long term investor, it might not be bad to pick some up here. I just keep going back to their financials and their balance sheet, and it's just bad. It's just really bad, and I don't see any surge of demand or it coming anytime soon that's going to just turn those things over. And even if it does, you're talking about a company that now has got 60. I haven't looked recently. Maybe they've changed it a little bit, but I want to say somewhere between 60 to $70 billion of debt, which is over triple what they had when they made their big run. You know, so you guys know my thoughts on Boeing. I won't beat a dead horse. Uh, but anyway, I think that pretty much sums up where we're at. I, I don't think that this is, if you're panicking, don't. Well, maybe you should a little bit, okay? <laughs> Maybe you should, because if you're panicking, what you're telling yourself, you're like, well, I'm not really panicking. If you're freaked out, it's because you're not managing risk or the person managing your money isn't managing the risk. All right. If you looked up at a day like today and you saw you were down, I think we're down like 0.12% or 0.2% overall value and momentum together. But if you know that people were watching this and if you knew more importantly that those people that were watching it for you on a daily basis, that their livelihood depended on the performance of your portfolio, You'd probably feel a little bit better. Give us a call, guys. There's a better way to do this. You don't have to sit there and ride this insane ride. Okay, there's a way to protect against extreme downsides, to actively manage a portfolio, to risk manage, take catastrophic losses off the table, to do it at less cost and still have more upside. We do it every day. If you don't want to take my word for it, I've got a whole stack of clients that have offered to be references. There's a better way. And like I've always said, guys, we're not for everybody. If there are other firms, I mentioned a couple, you know, we, we thought it was funny because somebody was like, dude, I heard you mentioning other firms saying they were good. Yeah, because my point was this. There are other good people out there that do what we do and they actually earn their fee because they're managing the risk in your portfolio and they're protecting you from catastrophic loss. I think the two ways I'll say it for every retail investor, there's two ways in my opinion to do it. Okay. Hire somebody like us who is a fiduciary and a risk manager and that is experienced at it and has evidence of being capable or go to Vanguard. I think both are reasonable, rational decisions. I obviously think one is better. What is not rational is getting a Vanguard portfolio and paying some schmuck one and a half to 2% to manage it for you to quote unquote, manage it for you or to babysit it or to just charge you rent because they don't do anything. Okay. So if that attracts you, or if that sounds interesting, you call us. 866-779-RISK and 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, bulwarkcapitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. You can follow me on Twitter at, at KYR Radio. I put a lot of our research, our new shows, interviews up there. You can get my thoughts during midweek. Anyway, we got a jam, but we're going to be back. We're going to talk about real-life examples, more real-life examples of risk management. We're going to dig into that, and then we'll also have an interview with uh, – Chase Taylor coming up. You won't want to miss it. So stick with us through the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach discuss key investment strategies across several asset classes, not just stocks and bonds. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. And Zach, I know you and Bulwark are laser-focused on risk management. What is the biggest risk right now? 
ironically, bonds. Really? Why? Because of all this money printing and the fact that we're still at zero interest rates, it's likely to create some serious inflation. And inflation crushes bonds. If your portfolio has a significant portion in bonds, you may need a bond replacement strategy now. Get our free booklet, Common Sense Investing, to learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy that shows you how to protect your retirement against loss, but still seek market gains. Our goal is the highest returns with the least amount of risk and cost. Call now for your free copy of Zach's new version of Common Sense Investing. Learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement where the firm's license conduct business. Bulwark Capital's DBA of Clerk Creek Financial Management, registered investment advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you for sticking with us. Now, this is a quick segment, uh, and I told you we were coming back, and we are going to talk about a risk management strategy. That, that or, or real life, I'm going to walk through in greater detail uh, about what we did from, or excuse me, what we, what we did this week and why, just to give you guys a real-life example of risk management. Um, but before, we, but, but I went over in the market update, shocker, shocker. So I've got about three minutes here and I wanted to hit on something. We did a virtual roadshow last night and we got a very, very smart, informed question from one of the people that attended. And I want to share it with you because I think it's very prescient. He asked me what we thought about Chinese stocks sold via ADRs, which I believe American depository receipts, I believe is what it's called, what it stands for, the acronym. It's a way for foreign stocks to trade on U.S. exchanges without actually having to list the stock on the exchange. Um, so it's like a proxy share. And he said, what do you think about that? Um, and I think the reason that this is a prescient period of time to discuss this is because Alibaba, you know, has been the darling of the Chinese stock market. It's just been recently obliterated. I believe it fell from 300. Where was it at? I it was as high as 300. I want to say, um, uh, you know, we're talking a month ago. You know, let me just pull up the chart here, guys. Hold on with me one second here. Um, let's see. How's this for professional? I need to have the stock summary pulled up. Okay. So here we go. One month. Um, no, it had, so it's been longer than that. 250. Okay. Six months, one year, five year peak on that thing. So that was around October 23rd of last year is when it peaked. You were peaked right around 310. Okay. Today it hit 112. Okay. It's now only up 20% in the last five years. Classic value scenario. Here's the catch. First of all, we cannot verify the financials. And I want to warn all of you that there are some scary things about the corporate structure regarding Alibaba. It, it, it's very reminiscent of Enron. Um, and you cannot trust the financials. We just don't know. Okay. I'm not calling it a fraud. What I'm saying is I think it's kind of impossible to discern. The other thing is this is all politically driven. Basically, the hit on Baba at this point, from what we can tell, from what we can see, is it has to do with Chinese government action taken against the company and taken against the founders of the company. That seems to be almost the entirety of this move. Um, so, again, I, I don't really know how to trade it. I know that Charlie Munger, Buffett's long-term guy, is a big fan of it. Clearly, he knows more than I do. He could probably get Xi Jinping on the phone. So I think something like that's worth a shot here. If you're not opposed to owning Chinese stocks, that's the other issue, that kind of moral, you know, I, 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 can't, I can't answer that for you. That's got to be your call. If, if you've ever been interested in it, though, the valuation here, at least as it relates to the reported earnings, is really attractive. This thing is, again, if you believe the financials, it's growing at a better clip than Amazon. And right now it's priced like it's Berkshire Hathaway. So my thing to you would be this caveat emptor. If you want to dip your toes into that, manage the risk, manage the size. Don't go all in, but the valuation is compelling. Anyway, we got to take a quick break. We're going to be right back with this real illustration of risk management and show you exactly how it's played uh, into, into our process this week. And I think it'll be a really good real-life example for you guys um, on how we manage risk. So stick with us through the break. As always, give us a call, 866-779-RISK. We will be right back. <laughs> this is the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Do better in bull markets. Do better in bear markets. Pay less fees in all markets. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. You can subscribe to Zach's free newsletter, The Bulwark Insider Report, at knowyourriskradio.com. 
Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. Zach, what's the number one concern with people's investments right now? Without a doubt, Dory, it's inflation, and it's here. With all this money printing and with still 0% interest rates, inflation will very likely rise, and when inflation rises, bonds get smoked. We've been telling people for six years, if you're using bonds in the old-school 60-40 mix as the safe portion of your portfolio, you're taking a serious gamble with your retirement. Well, what should our listeners do? If you're worried about inflation, we believe that you should consider getting out of bonds and get educated with Bulwark's bond replacement strategy. We teach you exactly how to do it in our free booklet, Common Sense Investing. Learn how to protect your portfolio against loss, but still seek to grow your assets. Call Zach now for your free copy of Common Sense Investing, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement with the firm's license to conduct business. Board Capital is a DBA of Clear Creek Financial Management, registered investment advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you so much for sticking with us through the break. And I got my, uh, our, what I refer to as our Maven of Macro Research, Mr. Chase Taylor, joining us again from Pinecone Macro Research. And uh, this is the second take because we had a little techno- technological glitch there. But w- what we were saying before the first time is that, man, you know, it felt like uh, for a good run there, eight to 10 years, everything on the macro side was so quiet. Um, I, I felt like the macro story was central banks. My, how the stories have changed. I feel like uh, every day I look at the markets and I'm like, man, this is this is Chase's playground. Um, obviously, we've had you on talk about the energy play. Um, we've seen oil take a 24 percent, you know, header right, right in the last uh, two and a half, three weeks. Um, and I've been warning the people on the show that this is part of the game, right? If you want to, I was joking and saying it's like, uh, you know, it's like trying to hold on to a scalded cat or, or you know, it's it, it can be rough. Um, but, you know, I'm fine with that as long as the underlying macroeconomic picture hasn't changed. So I defer to you, sir. Uh, <laughs> obviously, you're paying attention to what's going on in energy markets. Uh, we had the OPEC plus announcements. There's so many different conflicting opinions and so we're coming to you to give us the lay of the land and then also just what you make of, of macro wins in general and kind of uh, kind of lay it out for us. What's changed since the last time we talked? And most importantly, what are you seeing on the energy side of things? Yeah, sure. So I'll start with energy and then don't let me forget. I'll, I'll jump on the kind of broad market side. Um, energy is, is sort of a it, and broad markets, really both are going to kind of get hit by two things. One, one being the Fed and the other being the new Omicron uh, variant. That is kind of what really started all this last Friday, whenever the news broke. That just started crushing everything in very thinly traded illiquid markets, and but kind of you know hasn't really let go this week. We keep getting a lot of bad closes on oil and stocks, both. Uh, as far as fundamentals go, as long as that variant isn't you know going to be significantly worse than the Delta variant, as far as creating uh, a lot of lockdowns and you know limiting oil demand. The, the picture for oil is, is as good as it has ever been at any point during this this bull market. So I'm still very bullish oil, but but with you know definitely an eye on the variant to see how that ends up playing out because that could that could lead to real demand destruction. But everything we know about it right now, uh, we know it spreads fast, but so far obviously it's too early to make any sort of real call. But so far it looks like it's going to be fairly mild. Uh, so if that if that holds and that data holds, then you know, I I just see no demand side issues for oil, and I still don't think there's going to be enough supply. And the interesting thing too there is, you know, you you have a lot of folks making significant investment decisions on new production. You know, a lot a lot of capex calls are being made this time of year. So I'm sure that all of a sudden having that 20 25 percent crash in oil prices, especially with a lot of folks unhedged all of a sudden, not wanting to give away money on hedges anymore, suggests a lot less capex than we were going to have you know a month ago. And all that does is create this really tight supply uh, going into next year that, you know, maybe could have loosened up a little bit if prices had stayed up in the 70s, a little longer, 80s. Um, so I, I'm personally still very bullish oil, but definitely watching the, the virus. Uh, as far as kind of the markets as a whole, like I say, kind of double whammy. Obviously, you have the virus issue, which could become something. But uh, on the flip side, you know, the, the Fed has gone from really being mostly concerned about the labor market to this week clearly flipping 
to being mostly concerned about inflation. So now all of a sudden they care about inflation and are showing they're getting a little bit scared of it. So now, you know, good data comes out and that's sort of bad for the market because that means yeah, maybe the Fed's going to pull rate hikes forward. Uh, so that kind of added a new dynamic, I think, to markets that are going to, it's going to, it's going to be very interesting moving forward, uh, with, with data releases as they come out. Yeah. No, it, it's the, the, the virus thing to me, I, you know, I, again, and I've said this, I've said this really since the pandemic started, I, I am not a virologist. I'm not an immunologist. I, I, I just stayed at a holiday in express last night. Right. Um, so I, I will claim no expertise on that level, but I, you know, the, the doctor that essentially broke the story, the doctor that if I'm correct, right. The female doctor out of, uh, South Africa, uh, even she's come out and said, look, this thing isn't serious. This is no big deal. Um, it feels to me like this is an overreaction. The interesting thing I see about this is even on a day like today, we've got a lot of value names that are solidly green on the day that you and I both know that is once again, an odd departure from the last 10 years. Um, and then you watch the tech names getting hammered at the same time rates are falling. Do you, do you think that, do you think this is just a weird anomaly or do you think that we might start, you know, do you, are we seeing some material softness here in tech? I mean, it, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's real. I, it, it's, it is odd though. Like you say, like, I mean, it's not, it's not really a rates driven move. Obviously right. the fed, the fed coming, coming into play and saying, Hey, like we, we're not going to ignore inflation anymore. I, I think, I think that probably scares tech because you, you kind of start seeing those rate hikes. You know, now instead of them being years off in the distance, they're more like six months, maybe even less off in the distance. Uh, so that, I mean, it makes sense that that would start to spook tech uh, somewhat. But I've, I've been a little bit surprised by, by you know, the, the extreme weakness, especially as, I mean, we're making new lows in the long bonds right now. You know, you'd think, you'd think tech would at least be, you know, a little flatter than, than, than what, it, what it's doing. So, yeah, I, I think that's a little surprising. But Yeah, I you know... I guess the value guy in me is 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 speaking here, and this little bit of bias on my side. But I'd like to think that you know you you look at the COVID premium that was built into a lot of those tech names. You know that were just you know I think Apple's a great example. Now it's a very mild example, but you know that whole run Apple had from the middle of the two thousands really all the way until last year, the stock was pretty consistently valued between like a fifteen to nineteen multiple. Then all of a sudden it split its stock and the multiple doubled. Right. Um, maybe this is just kind of the burn off of that excess valuation that was built into it in. Um, and the fact that I just said that probably means it's, that that's not the case. Right. So um, Apple, call, Apple calls. Yeah. Well, and I mean, killing, the, you know, killing this 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 ludicrous tech valuation thing is I feel you feel like you're fighting Dracula. You know, you empty a clip into him and he just keeps coming. I mean, it's just uh, <laughs> so I don't want to prematurely call anything. The other thing, though, I do think is interesting is the action in uh, in in Arc, right? The, the old the old Kathy Wood standby um, that is getting absolutely lit up. As a matter of fact, um, if I'm if I can speak my book a little bit here, we we may or may not have jumped in on Wednesday morning into an inverse ETF on Arc, and um, I got to tell you that that it's a wonderful little hedge. Uh, it's playing out like yeah. a gem. I, I think that might be more representative of anything, don't you? Yeah, I mean, and, and the chart is just horrific. It, it I mean, five and a half percent as, as as we tape this right now. You know, before the market closed, down about five and a half percent. So, and and that's kind of falling off just a cliff on the chart. Just just brutal price action. So, I, I think it's a good innovation that that uh that inverse ETF. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I the thing that I the, the thing that just you know, and I, I, in no way am I trying to spike the football. I hope people don't get blown up in 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 arc. I'm, I'm not saying any of those things. It, but it does. It, it feels like a bit of sanity rushing in. You know, because you you look at these people and go, you know, what do you think? Remember, because the narrative was, oh, their research is just so amazing. Their research is just so amazing. Okay, now that they've given up, what is that? What, what have they had about a sixty? No, fifty percent pullback from their high, something like that. Coming up 50 percent pullback from their high in a year where the S and P's up eighteen, right? So, just goes to show you guys, there is no bulletproof research, and 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 a sure good research doesn't get you thirty to forty a year, you know, annualized gains. Right. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you'd agree with that. Yeah. I've had good research this week and, and my P and L is bad this week. So 
it's, it's, it's not always uh, correlated. <laughs> right, right. Not highly correlated. Okay, so what do you see now, Ta- Chase? One of the things I'm seeing, and one of my underlying beliefs is I'm watching all this fear about Omicron, which I think is just more. Can you say the word fear porn? I, I don't want to make a net. Yeah, I just feel like it's fear porn. You know, just it's over the top. I, I personally think that. I mean, all the data just shows that it doesn't look like it's very serious. Now, obviously, keep the ear to the ground. And if it gets serious, change perspective. Um, outside of the action you're seeing on that front, every single place I look, all I see are inflationary forces. Um, you know, everybody's like, oh, what about the bad jobs number? Look, I think the jobs numbers are going to be really weird for probably the next six months. And the reason why I think that is the conditions are bizarre, right? Like when, when have you ever come out of a recession where consumer spending and income went up, right? Where corporate, you know, where, where, where consumer balance sheets improved. As a matter of fact, where you reached a record high in household wealth. I, I, I think right now, and I've thought this for rates for a while, and I think, I, I think, and again, feel free, you, this is your playground, so feel free to disagree. But what it feels like to me is that um, a lot, there's a lot of macro confusion right now on what's going on. I think, you know, you'll hear some noise and things like jobs data and stuff like that. But if you just keep your, you know, again, just looking at the data, um, Everything I look at looks inflationary. Is that what you're seeing? And, and where do you think we're all, we are on that inflation versus deflation debate at this point? Yeah, so I would, I would say not everything I'm looking at is uh, inflationary. I, I do think supply chain kind of stresses are, are starting to ease. Yep. And, and will ease significantly in the first quarter. Um, but, but you're still, I mean, just if you look at the levels of all that, it's still really high. It's just more of like a rate of change easing. But I think as we get into the first quarter, a lot of that's going to get better. Uh, but when I look at the ener- obviously the energy side is, has really lightened up, so you, that that could help you know in the next couple of months. Uh, I think you know car sales, a lot of used car prices, new car prices was kind of a, a significant driver there for a while of inflation. Uh, a lot of the microchips are starting to get uh, you know exported at much heavier numbers all of a sudden. So I, I'm assuming they're gonna have a lot of cars just kind of sitting there waiting to get chips slapped into them. And they can get them out for sale. So that that the stress there should be relieved. Um, but I think, you know, you look at housing stress, the, the prices are not really going to move there much, uh, whether rent or, you know, sale prices. So that's going to stay high. I think food prices are going to have to stay high because largely because fertilizer prices are just, you know, make, making new all-time highs and going to cause a lot of stress for uh, for farmers. So it, it's kind of a, it's mix, it's a mixed bag. Like there, there are some still some very structural inflationary forces. You look at, you know, producer price prices, whether they're in the U.S., China, Europe. They're still extremely high, and a lot of that's going to have to feed through into consumer inflation, or you know, or margin compression. Either way, it's kind of bad news. Um, but I, I do think inflation at some point in the first quarter, maybe maybe it takes until you know late first quarter, should start to to kind of roll over in a in a material way and kind of ease into the rest of 2022. But as of now, yeah, I mean, it, you just still have this supply and demand mismatch where supplies just cannot catch up with the just extreme demand like you like you say you come out of a recession with you know demand figures especially for goods that we've just never seen before and they're you know obviously the shipping and the trucking industries they can't just you can't just scale up to right you know a kind of a a, a two sigma demand event that happens overnight it's not possible yeah yeah a little a little bit more complicated and i agree with you and I, i i honestly think that this is kind of this dichotomy um you know, because you have you have people on both sides of it that are like, oh, it's inflate. You know, it's it's the Weimar Republic. Uh, <laughs> you have other people that are like, we're about ready to enter a Great Depression. Um, and then I think you have more moderate views. Then on the inflationary argument, right? You've got um, this is completely transitory and it's all about uh, supply chains. You got other people. It's oh, it's all about you know hyperinflation on the way. Uh, even with all these arguments, I, I personally think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. I understand the people that are putting it all in the supply chains. That, that, that's a very inflationary force, and it will be transitory. What I don't think that those people are looking at is I don't think they're digging into the next layer of data, right? Um, you look at the structural changes, look at, you know, again, what we're talking about happening in the jobs number, look at the age of millennials, right? Um, look at, you know, I, the millennials are now at the age of forced labor, meaning right as soon as the government gravy quits rolling in, they've got to work now. Um, you know, you look at, uh, look at, uh, social security going up 6%. Um, 
I, I, I actually agree with when I said everything, I meant the key factors that I was looking at. Cause I agree with your assessment, uh, 100%, which is there's things that are, and there are things that aren't. Um, and the things that aren't, I agree with those people. I think that those are supply chain issues. And, and like you said, I think they're going to get resolved pretty quickly. As a matter of fact, we're beginning to see that resolution in the private equity business that we're involved in. Um, you see things starting to break free, you know, they're starting to loosen up. Um, but what's really interesting to me is how people have, you know, I think the, I think the, um, um, now I'm forgetting the other, another person on the other side, but well, I, you could look at like Peter Schiff and Kathy Wood, right? You know, that to me is kind of like the polar opposites in this debate. Peter Schiff is like, you know, this is the beginning of the Weimar Republic. Kathy Wood's like, it's completely transitory. I think it's somewhere in between. I think certain things are transitory as soon as supply chains ease. And I think there are going to be certain things that aren't. Is that, does that jive with what you're seeing? Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely think some things aren't, some things aren't. And and the, the argument I've been I've been making in in, in my writing has been, I, I I am I'm in the camp of we are in a sexual a secular uh you know inflation like yeah. beginning, but but that that has ups and downs. Like, mm-hmm. It's just you know those troughs are higher. You know you get kind of higher lows and you have higher highs all of a sudden. So I think you know we we just went through a regime shift and I think a lot of people think we go right back to, you know one percent inflation and two percent growth and I, I just don't think that's true. I think there are a lot of significant large forces that will keep that from happening, whether that's, you know, the, if, if you look at working age uh, folks in, in China, like that, that's vanishing quickly. They have, they have terrible demographics. And that was, you know, that was where everyone had, you know, all of their stuff made because they had a lot of labor and it was cheap. Well, it's, they don't have a lot anymore or, you know, it's less and it's not as cheap. Uh, so, you know, when we do start onshoring, even if it's a little bit at a time, like that, our labor costs more and, and that, that's another, you know, big inflationary right. factor is, is, you know, we have what people are calling striketober because there was a significant amount of strikes in the U.S. And labor all of a sudden has a good bit of bargaining power. They're getting, you know, significant wage increases. You know, over 4% is, is kind of the running uh, total for everyone. But it's even, it's even less at lower skill uh, positions, lower paid positions. They're getting significant, you know, wage increases. Like you said, you know, if you, if you give all the old people a 6% raise for Social Security, obviously inflation's eating a lot of that, but that's still a lot of money for, for people on fixed income. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that can, can help boost spending and, and keep, keep inflation high. I, I, think, I think there's a lot of secular forces that are going are to keep inflation just in a, in a newer regime that's higher than we're used to. That doesn't mean it doesn't dip down low again, you know, for periods. It just means, you know, oh, I think in the 2020s, inflation's going to be, it'll average significantly higher than the 2010s. Well, and then the other part of it too is that is there is no, and I don't think anybody would make an argument that this isn't the case, but you know, fuel is a, and energy is a big source of, uh, of inflation, right? Yeah. Um, w- when you look at it, the people that are predicting things go back to the way they were pre COVID as far as the, you know, 2% growth, 1% inflation, that that's those, that, that's what I'm saying. I, I, I'm looking at those people and going, listen, in my opinion, and I could be wrong happened before it'll happen again, but this just seems really clear to me. I, I don't think they're seeing the field clearly, right? One of the things, as you get supply tightness in, in, in fuel or in energy and oil and these kind of what the one thing I can guarantee you is new supply is not going to come on as fast as it has in the past, right? Look at ESG, look at government policy, right? That has fundamentally changed, right? I, you're, you're not going to get, you know, you're not going to get oil in my opinion to go from, you know, pop to 80 to 90 and all of a sudden see a flood of investor capital into shale again. Do you agree? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's already been made very clear and, and, it's kind of hit, getting hit from all angles. So you have the ESG angle, the the government angle, but also like investors. Like it, investors are you got really tired of having their money lit on fire by just drilling more. <laughs> yeah. um, You're talking and, to one of them. Yeah. So if you go back and look at all the, all of their you know slide decks from you know five ten years ago, and it was all about how much they were drilling because that's what everyone wanted. They drill more because everyone thought you know it'd be over a hundred dollars forever. Well, now they're all, what they're all pitching in their you know slide decks is how much money they're not spending, how much they're not drilling. You know, it's it's all about returning money to shareholders, and shareholders love it. They'll punish you if you don't do it that way, and they'll reward you if you do. So you're, you're seeing huge buybacks and dividends, and withhold withholding, pay, you know, paying down debt, but also withholding you know capex. So as, as long as that continues, and eventually, obviously, people will come in, but it's not going to be at you know sixty five dollar oil. It's going to be over a hundred dollars where folks feel comfortable enough to kind of get back in the water. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of people are like, Oh yeah, this is about right. Oil, oil needed to do this and oil should be about 65. 
to me that's that makes no sense because you're not going right. to get you're not going to get a high oil price or you're not you're not going to get a break in oil that forces it lower until you have significant investment and and production increases which so far we just don't have obviously OPEC is adding back but even now we got to the point where OPEC spare capacity is smaller than what we're used to it's it's significantly lower than than it has been really for the last decade uh obviously we've had the strategic you know uh, petroleum reserve releases but that that's kind of a sideshow because it's going to get added back a lot of it's leased so it has to get added back with with you know some interest kind of uh, that, that's really just a sideshow, and, and the American SPR is already already well below its ten-year average. So, if you and a lot of that oil that's sitting in there is already kind of contracted out, we already know it's going to be sold. That it's already like on the books. So, what what can even be sold out of the SPR moving forward is basically nothing. So, when you hear new threats to do even more SPR releases, just know that's not that's basically fake news. Like that's that's just a way to try to jawbone the market. That all that oil is spoken for. So. That that lever has essentially already been pulled in the U.S. It's already been pulled in, in China. Chinese, you know, oil uh, inventories are very, very low. Uh, so really, we're in a period where a lot of folks need to add to inventories you know, domestically. So they're going to have to do a lot of buying. And you know, when they they had the opportunity to do a bunch of buying at forty, fifty, sixty, and they're probably going to have to do a lot of that buying, in my opinion, north of a hundred. Yeah. No. It certainly that certainly seems to be the case. Um, the 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 other thing that I think has changed, and, and we're kind of getting away. I, this is macro, but it's it's a little bit more, uh, let's say, subjective, I guess. Um, the other thing that I think has changed that I haven't really heard, I've heard some people talk about, but I, I, it'll be interesting to see the way it plays out. Although I feel pretty sure, in my you know, from from sitting here today, the way it's going to look. So I mean, it'll obviously look different, but. Um, the other thing that I think has changed that, that isn't getting paid enough attention to is the fact that, you know, the taxpayers, right, the common man, the average consumer, their expectation of government action in the face of economic headwinds is, in my opinion, is radically different than it was pre-COVID, right? I personally am of the belief that recessions are now considered politically um, – all right, guys, unfortunately, due to time constraints, we got to cut the interview off right here. But like I told you during the regular show, you can hear the rest of this interview free of charge on our podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. You can get us on Stitcher. You can just Google Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Play it right from your phone. Bluetooth it on your car. It's super easy. Um, and you can get all the interviews we've ever done. Anyway, you guys can be the ultimate judge. Anyway, have a great weekend. Uh, and we will see you next week. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Thanks for listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Schedule your free risk review with Zach Abraham now at knowyourriskradio.com. Zach will be back with more Know Your Risk Radio next Saturday at noon on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. Opinions expressed in this program are for general information purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Clear Creek Financial Management, a registered investment advisor.